Behind the Bite podcast is part of a network of podcasts that are good for the world. Check out podcasts like the Full of Shift podcast, After the First Marriage podcast, and Eating Recovery Academy over at practiceofthepractice.com backslash network. Welcome to Behind the Bite podcast. This podcast is about the real-life struggles women face with food, body image, and weight. We're here to help heal, inspire, and create better, healthier lives. Welcome. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. If you are a regular listener to the show, which, by the way, I appreciate, so thank you, you may have heard the guest I have on here today with me a few weeks back. She was on here discussing binge eating disorder and clearing up some of the faulty information and myths that are out there about it. And as we were talking, we hit on the topic that we both felt really needed some more in-depth discussion. So she's back here today and we're here to talk about bariatric surgery. And I do want to point out that we won't be spending time getting into the specific details about the actual surgery or types of bypass surgeries that are offered mostly because neither one of us are surgeons and getting into details about medical procedures really isn't the focus of this podcast. Uh, So saying that, you may be wondering why on earth then are two therapists who help people who have eating disorders here discussing bariatric surgery when we're not surgeons? Well, that is exactly why we are having this discussion. And I hope by the end of today's show, you will have an answer to that question. And perhaps even start thinking about more questions about this topic that maybe we didn't have time to cover. Because after all, this is a very big topic and there's just not enough time to cover all of it. So for those of you who did not listen to the podcast a few weeks ago when she was on, I want to reintroduce our guest who's here today, Dr. Marianne Miller. She is an eating disorder therapist and binge eating coach. A former full-time academic for 12 years, Dr. Marianne had a part-time private practice until she fell in love with working with eating disorders and went full-time in 2018. Okay, well, Marianne, welcome back to the show. I know last time I had you on, we got to so many different tangents and topics, and this one, uh, I know both of us have a lot to say about it. So um, let me just ask you, what? What's your experience or I guess, um, do you, do you currently work with people who are asking you about bariatric surgery or being told that they should consider it? Like give me some of your background and kind of where you sit at with it right now. Well, uh, first of all, I, our last podcast, we, we did explore so many different topics and it, I felt like we weren't able to get to so many more that we wanted to talk about. So I really appreciate you inviting me back. And um, okay, bariatric surgery. So, so we have there, from my knowledge, you know, I'm not a gastric bypass like physician. I'm a therapist, but I'm an eating disorder therapist. So I have some knowledge about this. There's two different types. So there's the gastric bypass where you, you know, literally bypass a part of the stomach and you take, take out a part of the stomach and I think intestines, you know, don't quote me on this, but part of, you know, the mechanisms that process the food, they, they take out 
you know, a, a major part of your organ, right? And and then the gastric sleeve is they have a sleeve that um, they put around the stomach, I believe, and it, uh, it squeezes it so that your stomach becomes very small. And so, um, so I've had a lot of clients who have had either had it in the past and it did not cure their eating disorder and they ended up coming to me. And then I have had clients who have had it recommended to them and they chose not to get it and they came to me instead. And then I have had some clients who had it recommended to them. They went through therapy with me for a couple of years, got very solid in their recovery, and then they ended up going ahead and getting the surgery, the gastric sleeve surgery, which is the less invasive one. So so it's it's been all over the map. And I had a very, very negative view of it um, initially. And then I had a couple clients who were really rock solid in their recovery, get it because of some other health reasons. And they kept seeing me for therapy. And we really made sure that they stayed in a recovery mindset. And it worked okay. Now they're not or they're not too far out from the initial surgery. So, and a lot of times the side effects can last a lot longer than what the doctors initially say. So I'm, I'm still kind of in the waiting period with that. Um, the, the issue is, is that it's regardless of whether you have the gastric sleeve or the gastric bypass and and my apologies if I'm not explaining the surgeries correctly and if I'm missing something. So, um, but in the gastric sleeve and gastric bypass, when you're in both in preparation for the recur for the surgery and then after the surgery, what they do is they have you on a severely restrictive diet. That's about like three especially post-surgery, it's about 300 calories. So 300 calories would be an extreme starvation diet um, for anyone. Um, yet for people who are in larger bodies or in fat bodies, they feel um, it's, it's like okay to put people on 300 calorie diets. And it's just, um, I just had a really hard time with that, um, even for the people who went through it. And, um, and I'm actually just, this is a total tangent, but I'm writing my newsletter and I'm writing a little blurb on Ozempic and how it can, you know, decrease this appetite. We could do a whole nother podcast episode on that. Um, how it decreases appetite. And, and that's the thing is that like, we know that at the foundation of all eating disorders is restriction, even binge eating disorder is there has to be a restrictive component. And so if you have a medical procedure that forces restriction in order to promote weight loss, 
that's a real issue and um and what can can happen and what i've found you know even in the follow up appointments is the physicians actively pr- promote restriction even months 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 post surgery because they want the good stats they want the right numbers they want their patients to have dropped a, you know this ideal amount of weight and and it's very disturbing um and from what i have seen it can continue to promote eating disorders i've i've had clients who've had multiple um surgeries bypass or sleeve surgeries and then still end up in my office so i just a lot of red flags there well and you know to your point too i mean yes the there's severe restriction but you know, especially with the, the gastric bypass surgery, you know, where they're making the stomach extremely small. I mean, it's the size of what, like a large egg or something, right? Um, I think it's less. I think it's like a walnut. I mean, but I could be wrong. I mean, regardless of if it's walnut, small egg. Uh, yeah, can't that's really, still freaking small. <laughs> you can't really take in that much. No. Anyway, so just by that alone, there's the inability to take in much fuel right so in terms of right even think about like calorie wise but just how much can you actually take in because i know you know i've worked with patients too and like initially it's just kind of like broth right um yep it's not even solids they can have initially because the stomach is so small and it's so sensitive and um so there too right with you know a lot of people have eating disorders they do like the liquid fast and things like that so you're talking about severe calorie restriction liquid diets not having solids stomach's so small um right there it, it just from the get-go it's wow what's happening i mean it's mind-boggling to me and it doesn't it doesn't teach you how to eat right it teaches you how to restrict and again restriction is the foundation of all eating disorders um, yes, you may feel out of control if you're binging and purging or binging and over-exercising or if you're just binging, um, but there is some restriction there. You know, it's, it's eating disorder providers, you and I know that if we don't ask about restriction, then we're missing like a huge component of the eating disorders. And, and so when you have a whole medical team that is promoting that and them doing basically amputating a part of your stomach um, and or a major organ, I guess, stomach intestines or whatever, um, that's, that's extreme. And then also there's high risks um, that can happen after people get it. And of some of the risks are the exact same thing that happened to people with anorexia. Like there, sometimes it can be brain fog. Sometimes it can be, um, hair loss is a very common one. Amenorrhea is another one. I mean, and so when we have the same side effects to something that. It is this side effects to anorexia? That's just like, you know, this is this is going to be a bold statement, okay? So everybody, hold on to your horses. <laughs> or, um, 
is uh, I I think that in many ways it is forced anorexia. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, it, yeah. the definition in and of itself right there, so like severe calorie restriction. Um, people, I mean, if people try to eat more, right, what happens? Dump, the dumping syndrome. Right. So, I mean, for people who don't know what that is, can you explain that? Yeah, um, my understanding is that it's just severe gastric distress. And if they eat more, or if they eat um, the, like certain kinds of foods, sometimes it's the food that has a higher fat content. Um, and it can also happen with carbonated beverages because that creates more space in the stomach. So, and that can happen for like, I, I know clients who've had it for decades, a couple decades, and they're still, they can still have the dumping syndrome. And so it's just, it's just frustrating. And, and I think one thing, and here we go, I'm really going to get into it now, is that um, the American Academy of Pediatrics has now um said that uh, weight uh, gastric sleeve surgery is okay for children 13 and up. I mean, and that is appalling. So you know what's going to happen is that you're going to have kids, some of which are just going through puberty and their, their bodies have not, um, you know, their bodies are still figuring itself out. And the physicians or the parents or whoever is freaking out. And so they have this kid has this surgery. And I mean, how is <laughs> like, it's the same, the same worries I have when I have kids who are 13, 14, 15 with anorexia is I worry like this could affect their ability to, to grow in their height. This can affect brain development. Like this is, there's really severe, severe, you know, um, consequences. And for them to give us the pass. And then another thing I think is what's going to happen is that people in historically oppressed, marginalized groups, they're going to be targeted for this solution first, because a lot of times they don't have access to therapy. And so instead of going to see an eating disorder therapist, if indeed there even is an eating disorder, um, that's what's going to, that's what's going to happen is that they're um, going to be said, okay, we'll just do the surgery. And if they haven't had an eating disorder, they're going to develop an eating disorder. It reminds me of like, it was, it reminds me of two different times. I think it was back in the seventies when everybody was giving kids um, speed, basically, mm. you know, um, and having them th for a weight loss. And you have generations of children who are addicted to stimulants um, because of weight loss. And then the second thing it reminded me of is in um, the 90s when the whole Fen Fen um, thing came on and, and it had a stimulant in it and another like an app another appetite suppressant and and then it, the FDA ended up banning 
I think I can't remember which one it was, whether it was the fen or the fen or the fen fen, which which fen. <laughs> it's it's like pH fen and fen. It, it's the FDA ended up like knocking that out, and so people couldn't couldn't be on it. So so what are we going to see in ten years? Are we going to say, oh no, gastric sleeve surgery is going to be so harmful for children? But the fact that it's even being given a pass and recommended by the American Academy of Pediatrics is is appalling. I mean, 13, 13, like your body is not even, I mean, it's just, um, it's a tragedy. It's a tragedy. And I mean, and I hate to say this, it's like job security for you and me. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like yeah. these people are going to have life. I mean, and I, it's appalling to say, but people are going to have lifetime issues with food and eating um, because they won't, won't know how to, eat um because their their bodies are all messed up i don't know and also another issue with that for children is that there have been no like um there have been no longitudinal studies on and very little research in, at all with the children on uh, in these weight uh, the gastric sleeve surgeries and yet they're making this recommendation so that just shows how fat phobic, or I don't like using the word fat phobic, of how much of an anti-fat bias there is in our society. So, well, and it, you know, it's, to me, I don't know your experience, but the, the people I have worked with, they have been told a few things that quite disturbing to me. They've been told that they need to lose, I think it's like ten percent of their body weight before surgery to qualify. Yep. Um, which to me, I, I always thought, well, that's really interesting because if you're putting somebody in that position before they can have the surgery, because they're trying to, I don't know, it, it's like, well, what's the point of the surgery then after that? Because if, if that's the whole point of the surgery is just to see if the person can lose weight, right? Uh, to manage their monitor control, whatever you want to say, their food, restrict their food they're doing it prior to surgery. It's like their motivation. Um, and then I've also heard things that really disturb me too. This is a very long surgery, right? They're under anesthesia for a very long time. And yet these are the same, most of the time, the same people who have the need for other surgeries, they're denied like a knee replacement or hip replacement. And they're told, no, you may not get that surgery because you have too large of a body or BMI is too high. So lose weight. And then you can get the knee replacement. Then you can get the hip replacement because if we do the knee replacement or the hip replacement, it'll be futile, way too much. And then that's really their motivation to get the bariatric surgery. They're saying, once I get this bariatric surgery, then I can get my knee replacement. I can get my hip replacement because right now I'm in so much pain. I can't do anything. I just need to get this weight off so I can qualify for that other surgery. I know. And yet they're being told you're too much of a high risk for anesthesia for this other surgery too. Right. Um, it's not, it's, you know, it's too risky to put you under anesthesia for that long for that kind of surgery. Plus, you know, it's pointless to give you the new knee, the new hip, but I'm sitting here going, wait a minute, you qualify and it's not too risky to put you under anesthesia for hours and hours and hours of much longer, more invasive surgery like bariatrics, but yet it's too high risk to put you under the knife for 
another surgery that probably would help the person feel much better and live a much you know higher quality of life and actually help them be if you were looking at health right I mean they'd be able to move more engage in life more you know chronic pain is works havoc on your mental health status right chronic pain is horrible so I don't know what say you about that because I have all sorts of thoughts going on with that um well I have chronic pain myself um I can't remember whether I mentioned this the last time but what I one of the things that I ended up um ended up launching me into binge eating disorder is because I was engaging in bulimia and I wasn't purging but I was binging and then I'd over exercise and I over exercised to the point at which I injured my lower back and had to have surgeries and I couldn't exercise anymore and um so the surgery my surgery was in 2005 and that just launched me into years of chronic pain and there were issues with the surgery and um and even back then <laughs> they were they just kept harping on my weight and I was in a I was still in straight sizes back then um you know I was not in plus sizes but I wasn't small enough um and so they thought I had uh they, they were convinced that I had um uh diabetes type 2 diabetes which I didn't and I still don't even though they keep testing me for it um and and so it's it's just very like um there it's an accessibility issue there's an accessibility issue and when people are in chronic pain they deserve to have accessibility to surgeries that will make the pain go away and improve their quality of life like for me, I mean, I was a big runner when I was um, over exercising and clearly I can't run anymore because of my too hard on my back. And so I, I just get in the pool, you know, and I'm very grateful um, that I've had enough recovery and enough time to be able to be in the pool and to move and to, love, I, you know, I love it so much. But if people can't even do that, you know, if people can't, and then they're denied the surgery, it is absolutely appalling. And it makes no sense given that the um, bariatric surgeons are having everyone sign up for their surgeries. And, and, and sometimes in precursor to other surgeries, uh, or they, they, they put them on Ozempic right? Prior to having other surgeries, which has a host of its own uh, side effects. So, um, you know, part of me wonders, again, not verified, but part of me wonders whether there's a, one um, wonders whether there's just a different category of liability when, when it comes to bariatric surgeons. They have like higher they have to carry higher liability insurance and then then like orthopedic surgeons and um and so they can do surgery on people in fat bodies or who are considered obese um again not a fan of the obesity word that's another podcast <laughs> you're saying but, quotes people who can't see her, yeah can't see me i'm like quotes 
quotes, um, obesity. Um, and so anyway, I just think, I think that there's a, uh, there's a powerful, um, message in, in that, in that number one, um, anti-fat bias is alive and well in the medical system and it denies access to medical care. And it's even worse for people of historically oppressed and marginalized groups versus like for me as a white woman, I'm not going to have as, as hard a time getting access than if I were a BIPOC person or um, even in some states, if I were gay, you know, I'm straight cisgender, but if I were gay, if I were, um, uh, you know, a a gender uh, non-binary person or something i mean it's it's really boils down to accessibility and why is one type of surgery more accessible than others and i suspect and not verified i suspect that there's just it you know with these gastric bypass surgeons they're not just selling the surgery and the aftercare they're selling a bunch of supplements um, that they have to take, you know, before and after the surgery. They're selling, you know, sometimes they have like support groups that there's not, it's a real moneymaker. It's a huge moneymaker. So it just boils down to, you know, money. I'm making the money sound with, or not the sound, <laughs> with my hands. <laughs> it just, it just boils down to the, it just boils down to money. And um, and people's lives are at risk. And the more historically oppressed and marginalized groups that you are in, um, that you uh, um, are categorized as, the, the higher the risk. But that's what's going to happen is, is that people, and then, it, you know, they may end up with um, not the premier doctors who are giving these gastric sleeve surgeries you know, um, and well, I'm not going to say backstreet surgery, but those that just don't have as much of, um, uh, who aren't as well known to offer high level care. And so it's just, there's just so many problems. There's so many problems with the system. Uh, yeah. So and and it just it's it boils down to it stems from this fear of being fat is is even greater than fear of having chronic pain, you know, with your your fear of having bad knees. I mean that's just what it boils down to, and it's it's a complex issue, and um, you know that there are people who have had the surgery, and I've seen them, and we're glad that they have it. Um, but again, they were working with me for years on the eating disorder and they were white and they were able to access like the top ga gastric sleeve surgeons, you know, in their area. And so that is a very small percentage of people who are getting these surgeries. So, I mean, for them to have any sort of recovery and like therapy and to be able when the the surgeon afterwards is pushing you know you you need to get down to a certain weight for the client to be able to go that's nah, it's okay i'm good 
you know, that's a lot of recovery they've done and they've been a good solid place. Um, they're like, I just wanted to get a little bit more mobile and I am, and I'm able, I'm able to have this all food fits model now that I've my, I'm recovered. And, um, and, and so, you know, forget it, but most people don't have that knowledge and don't have, you know, two, three years of recovery experience where they're really solid in their binge eating recovery or whatever eating disorder, you know, they had. Well, and that's a good point. Um, you bring up a lot of things that have my head kind of going. You brought up the moneymaker thing. I know I worked at a hospital for 15 years and what I often saw was the hospital making a lot of money promoting like liquid fast, like OptiFast and oh. things like that beforehand. And people were yes. pushed to do that first. Um, and that drove me nuts. <laughs> you know, I was like, that's just wrong on so many levels because to, well, I would say a hundred percent of the time, okay, I'll give 99%. Maybe people would go on that and lose this weight. Cause if you're on a liquid, very restrictive diet for X number of weeks, something's going to happen whenever you restrict your, your body's going to change. But yeah, 99% of the time people gain the weight back plus more as we know is what happens on diets. Right. And then they get discouraged and think, okay, the only way I can really get the weight off now they're primed or just give me the bariatric surgery. I'm spent. I've done every diet on the planet. I just need this quote unquote, need this, right. I have to do this. I, I have no ability to do this on my own. Um, and yes, I would try to work with them too, but you know, people get to a point where they're just exhausted. They're just tired of being told, you know, you need to do this and they're tired of trying everything under the sun. And I can see the mentality of like, let me just, then they're being told too, like, this is a tool, a quote unquote tool to get you there. This is going to help you. And I don't think people really think about what life is like after. And I've heard people just come in my office who didn't do like the work you're talking about. And, you know, they're devastated. They go to like their first social outing. And, you know, I've heard people just describe like they go to like a, a Christmas party or a holiday party or birthday and everyone else is having birthday cake and getting stuff in the buffet line. And they literally can have like a little thimble full of like, you know, <laughs> broth or they can have like a teaspoon of like their favorite food and then they have to sit there. They can't have alcohol. They can't have, you know, even a soda because of the carbonation. They can't do anything. And it's like they're realizing now their ability to even socialize is hampered and their ability to engage in life is so different. It's not even about not binging anymore. It's about, wow, this is so different. It's like they're very sad and that's just one aspect of it, right? But the whole other aspect of if you don't do the work and you're used to using food to cope or escape or numb out, and I'm not saying everybody has binge eating disorder who does this, but for the people we're talking about eating disorders and the people that do, now they they don't have that. They can't, they literally cannot binge or else they're going to have dumping syndrome. They're going to have you know, something very bad happen to their bodies because their body, literally their stomach is so tiny. Um, and I, I don't know what you've seen, but I used to call it like the trifecta in the hospitals. Like they'd go to bariatrics, get the surgery. Maybe they'd come see me because they were super depressed and having a lot of problems or they'd see me first. And despite me kind of trying to sway them against bariatric surgery, someone in another department would give them the rubber stamp to go ahead. 
Um, and then they'd end up in chemical dependency because they would turn to alcohol because oh. they could not escape with food. But man, you would get really drunk really fast because your stomach is so small and you drink a very small amount of alcohol and get drunk. And then you had another problem on your hand that people didn't really think about. Yeah, it's like whack-a-mole. Yeah, it's like that whack-a-mole game um, when you have things pop up. But if, again, in a very, very rare case, if you do the work, which takes years mm -hmm. to do recovery, and you decide to go ahead and do the surgery, do your research, get like multiple you know, interview multiple surgeons um, and then take into consideration, especially if you're a BIPOC individual, that you may not get the same level of care as white people. And I did want to mention uh, or go back to what you were saying about the, uh, the liquid fasting, because uh, during my eating disorder, I actually tried a couple versions of that. Um, it did not work well it worked a little bit until um the shakes that you're on made me really sick <laughs> and it's like when that's all you can have that's so distressing um and again this these are from even if it's prescribed by a hospital the hospital's making money off of it because you're buying all your food, all of the shakes, everything from the hospital. And so, um, and it feels awful and it affects you socially because you go to places where everybody's eating and you smell the food and you want to eat it so badly and then you, you don't. And so even those people who have gone on the liquid fast um, diets, I mean, at the first phase, they get you down to um, five to 600 calories. I mean, you need at least 1,200 calories, even if you're just in a coma, at least. If you're just lying there doing nothing, um, you need at least 1,200 calories to survive. So this is severely going to affect your functioning. And then what happens is that when people start introducing food, you know, their body has been deprived for so long a lot of them start binging and it's like trying to stand in front of a bullet train with your hand out going stop because physiologically your body is like okay we're done with the starvation mode so we're going to start eating everything it's it's really sad and it's not sustainable but it is a big money maker and it's it made me it made me miserable um, from a gastrointestinal perspective the shakes did and that is something that they don't talk about <laughs> so yeah and and I think that's a big problem with this bypass surgery is you know I think people people I worked with would call like the first six months is like honeymoon phase We're like this is great I don't feel hungry yeah you know but I think that's because you you know your stomach's been all you know, either cut up or something, you know, your receptors for hunger, everything's off. So people don't feel, yeah. but it does come back with a vengeance from what yes. I've seen. Um, but I think you brought up something that people don't, maybe they don't, I don't know if they're told or talked to about like some of the side effects that can happen 
you know, in the long term, I've seen people like you said, they lose their hair, their nails, their skin looks very off, right? They're not getting enough nutrition. They're not getting enough vitamins and minerals. Um, you know, and that can be another whole psychological, you know, doozy on somebody when they're looking and they're going, wow, my hair's not like it used to be. And like my skin, my nails, they're all brittle. I don't have enough energy. You can't, how are you going to have energy if you're not eating enough, right? Food is fuel, food is nutrition. Um, so you can, you know, our society is so worried about weight and that's the be all end all, but oh my goodness, like what's happening to the body. And, you know, people also, I think they have it maybe in their mind, like if you're losing such a drastic amount of weight so quickly, which is what the point of the surgery, right? Now they're going to have saggy skin and that causes sometimes pain for people they're carrying on skin or can cause rashes or can cause infections or all sorts of things. Now people are left with, oh gosh, and I have to have another whole invasive surgery if I want to get rid of this skin. That people now, die from. Right. People can die from those surgeries. Yeah. Um, so there's a whole host of things that I think people really do need to consider. This is not like just a tool to help you gain control over your eating or help you finally like figure out how to get your BMI down or it, you know, when we're talking about health, like let's really define like, what is the goal here? What is, what is health? Right. How would you, how would you, how would you define health? Well, I think it's a, a, not just, it's not just your BMI. Yes. It's not your weight, right? It's not the number no. on the scale. And if, you know, as we're sitting here talking about, I'm like, this is not promoting physical health and well-being. By any means, certainly not not promoting mental health and relational health too. If you feel like you can't go out and socialize with people, you know, I you know I promote you know on my website I promote like wellness, which is like eight different areas of life, right? Socializing, intellectualizing, like you know all these different areas. So if you're looking at how this surgery would impact all these different areas of your life, I just I don't know. Like, I really would like people to sit back and think about like, there's recovery time. There's, like I said, inability to, food is very, a very social thing. Think about celebrations, holidays, events, like people go and they break bread with each other. We, we celebrate around food. Like, what does that look like? And the cultural aspects of food too. Like what if in your culture, um, the food is on, uh, is more oily and has higher fat content and that's perfectly acceptable like like I I mean a lot of cultures the reason that they developed food that is higher you know in oils they use a lot of oils and fats is because of their own persecution you know over the over the centuries is that they needed to to have certain foods that would sustain them, you know, if they were in situations where they weren't, didn't have access to food. And those foods are very important for cultural identity. So basically, you know, you have these medical teams saying, no, you know, you basically can't eat your core cultural foods that is part of your identity anymore. And because this is bad this is bad. And, and that, and to me, that's, that's a, another part of, of health is being able to stay 
true to your roots and be able to live your authentic self. And that would be like racially, culturally, religiously, everything. Um, and so you have to take those into consideration. But the problem is that the, the medical systems, they have this like one size fits all um, mentality in that like this needs to work for everyone and we're not going to tailor it to you if you come from certain cultures if you come from certain backgrounds you know for certain activity levels for even certain kind of jobs you might have you know we're not going to tailor it um to you and and we're not <laughs> it's more about the immediate results it really is based in diet culture it's it comes from diet culture and I just, um, it, you have to be, it's like, I would say 0.5% or less of people who get these surgeries um, do it the, in a way that is um, mentally, emotionally, and socially healthy for them. And in my mind, that takes a lot of therapy, you know, before years of therapy before people can get solid enough um, in their recovery to do so. So, and a lot of people just don't have access to that. So it's, it's a, it's a real problem and it really boils down to money and the fact that they're going to start doing it on children. I mean, when I first heard that about the American pediatric society um, Academy of American pediatrics, um, I, I thought, okay, what what um, gastric sleeve lobbyists have been talking to the American Academy of Pediatrics? Like that—that that is the first thought that I had because it's it's a financial and it's political when it comes to that level of things, and it's not about the well-being of the people. And so, when you think about the Hippocratic Oath. And, you know, first do no harm and you want to help the person, you, that is just not being practiced in this area. It, it isn't. So, and I've just seen so many people suffering. I mean, the dumping syndrome in itself is just so hard. It's, it's, uh, it, it's just so hard for my clients to be like, well, you know, even like years and years and years after surgeries like that, I still have to eat really slow or I get the dumping syndrome. And, you know, that's really hard. It's you're, you have a family and you're trying to, you know, manage this. And what if you get this and, and you get pregnant, you know, and it affects your ability to eat. Like there's just so many levels and things that aren't talked about. It's it, the our American medical system is just, you know, if you have this, this thing obesity if you have this condition then um bariatric intervention is the solution if not the you know shakes first ozempic you know then bariatric surgery i'm sure um and it's without the consideration of the patient's um best interests it's like why can't we just improve work on improving their knees and improving, you know, their um, well-being and their quality of life and then see what happens. But that's just not the perspective. It's what's quick and what makes the most money, to be honest.
very unfortunate and you know i know i'm preaching to the choir talking to you but you know that <laughs> mental health you know has a primary uh source to you know helping people with all sorts of things you know if we had better access for mental health care for people i think it would make a world of difference right it, people could look at their relationship with food first and see you know is it just fuel and nutrition or maybe some enjoyment versus like or is your relationship with food something else let's look at that first before jumping to like like you said cutting up your guts um giving you a pill you know trying to just look at your weight and saying oh that's a problem versus maybe it's not a problem right oh you must be sick if you're in a larger body maybe you're not probably not you know maybe people in smaller bodies are actually the ones who need to be looked at like Maybe your body's not meant to be in a smaller body. Maybe those okay. are the people that are doing very horrible things to themselves to be in a smaller body. Because like you said, we live in a very toxic diet culture that promotes that. So um, I, I do think bariatric surgery is yet again, another thing in our society that's promoting people to be very ill just to get into smaller bodies. So I think we just need to have more discussion about all these things that pills, surgeries, diets, like, what are we doing here? Like, this is, this is horrible. And what are we doing to our children? Yeah. Yes. You know? Yeah. It, it reminds, what you were saying reminds me of that poodle science video. Have you seen that? Oh, Google, if anybody, anyone listening and Christina, you yourself, Google poodle science, it's by, uh, it was put out the, uh, by the Association of Size, Diversity, and Health. Maybe you can include the link. It's a YouTube video. Mm. Maybe you can include the um, link in the show notes. But it's uh, it's about saying like you know you do they do research on um, poodles and they think that well everyone needs to look like poodles. But if you're a bull mastiff mm -hmm. or a lab or whatever, you know you should and they're saying no you need to look like a poodle and so they're like put in miserable situations to make them look like a poodle but they're really a bull mastiff kind of thing and they just it's such a lovely like illustration the way that they they do it and it, it illustrates the point that you were saying it's like maybe people who are in smaller bodies need to be looked at and say hmm maybe you need to you're designed genetically and kind of you have the environmental experience that now being healthy is being in a larger body for you. I love that you said that. And, and as a woman in a fat body, that was very validating for you, you to say that to me. So I want to thank you for that. I've seen all sorts of things and, you know, having had my eating disorder myself, I can say, yeah. like, what if we just let people breathe appreciate yeah. themselves, right? It'd be so nice. Yeah, I know. I know. I mean, it would free up so much of our time and energy and brain space to be able to do things. You know, I know when I recovered, I was like, whoa, like I have all this space in my brain that I can like think about cool stuff, you know, <laughs> like I'm a nerd. So like Star Wars and <laughs> like, um, you know, building my private practice, like um, doing my my um, online coaching, the self-paced virtual coaching thing. I mean, all of that energy and brain space came out from 
the fact that I was recovered and I have been recovered. It's, it's such a great, great feeling. Um, and, and I don't have to worry about eating a thimble full of like whatever, you know, that I just can't imagine because it also forces you to continue to think about food, eating and body image, which is a symptom of eating disorders is obsessing about food, eating and body image. And so it just perpetuates it. Exactly. Well said. Okay. Well, Dr. Miller, Marianne, thank you again for being here. I really appreciate you coming back and touching base and talking about this topic. I mean, again, we could discuss 10,000 things, but um, again, if people want to find you, how can they do that? Um, uh, online at drmariannemiller.com. I'm very active on Instagram at drmariannemiller and that's um, M-A-R-I-A-N-N-E. And yeah, just check out what I'm doing. You'll see me dancing on Instagram. (laughs) I know. Sometimes I watch them to make myself like smile. (laughs) Is that cheesy? Not for any reason. I'm like, just makes me happy. (laughs) Thank you so much. And I'm sure we'll touch base again and find some time in the future to talk about something else. Oh, that would be great. Thank you, Christina. This podcast is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information in regards to the subject matter covered. It is given with the understanding that neither the host, the publisher, or the guests are rendering legal, accounting, clinical, or any other professional information. If you want a professional, you should find one.